zombie. I don't think that was the question you expected me to ask. Well, I'm no expert in zombies, but as far as I can tell, zombies look alike, look alive. They move, although in some of the horror films I remember from my childhood, they move kind of stiffly, right? They have strength. Some zombies seem to be able to talk, but they are dead. And that's the key element in the horror movie, right? That they're already dead, so you can't kill them. That's why they're so disturbing. But then the question, are you a zombie? Is the person next to you a zombie? Well, your hearts are beating, you are breathing, you look like you have life, but do you have life? While the scripture doesn't use the term zombie, it does talk about those who appear to be alive but are really dead. Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Walked, right? The walking dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in, once you, in which you once walked, but God made us alive together with Christ. Or Luke 15, where the father says about the returning prodigal when speaking to his older son. This brother, this your brother, was dead and is alive. Scripture tells us again and again what life, what true life in Jesus is like. We read a number of those passages in our call to worship. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, says Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus. And then John in his first epistle, God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Jesus is the true God and eternal life. John 17 Jesus prays, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And then from Proverbs 3, wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, for they will be life for your soul. Well, similarly, in Psalm 119, 11 times the psalmist cries out, Give me life. He is alive physically, but he cries out, Give me life. He knows that true life is more than existence. It's more than what an animal has. We are made for more than living, breathing, eating, and having sex. Well, four of the 11 cries, give me life, 
are in the 24 verses that we're looking at this morning. Indeed, they're in the first two stanzas, the first 16 verses that we're looking at this morning. The four verses that have that phrase are printed on the front of your bulletin. So as we continue to study what I've encouraged you to think about as the beautiful valley of Psalm 119, as we look at it from different perspectives above it, inside it, to one side. Today, we're zooming in on this idea, give me life. After looking briefly at the translation of that term, we'll look at it under three headings. There's no true life apart from God. And then second heading, don't follow the zombies, follow the God of the Word. Those two headings are based on verses 145 to 160. And then the third heading on the last stanza, based on John 17, 3, this is eternal life. So there's no true life apart from God. Don't follow the zombies, follow the God of the Word, and this is eternal life. But first, the translation issue. ESV, Holman Christian, translate this verb, give me life. King James, quicken me. And that's an, ar quick, an archaic way of saying, give me life. So that's in accord. NIV says, preserve my life. NIV is interpreting this request as protect me from my attackers. Okay? Many other translations, English translations, probably the majority of English translations today, use the translation revive me. Well, what's the verb? The verb is actually related to the same word that is conjugated in a way for God's name, what God says to Moses at the burning bush. Tell them, I am has sent you. I am that I am. I have life in myself. Okay, so that's where the verb comes from. And we're saying, give me this life. Well, given the common theme in the Old Testament and the New Testament reflected in those verses that we've already read, I think it's likely the psalmist is talking about more than preserve my physical life from those who are attacking me. As for revive, it can have that same meaning, right? Revive can mean I am dead, give me life. But revive today more frequently is used to mean stir me up, make me active, give me energy. And that's not what the psalmist is asking for. He's asking for much more than that. He's asking for life. And so I do think give me life is the best way of rendering the psalmist's request. Okay, so our first heading, there is no true life apart from God. If there's no true life apart from God, 
we must plead for life from the giver of life. And we must follow whatever steps he commends in order to live in that life. So before considering the psalmist's explicit request, give me life, let's look at his other pleas, the other things that he asked God for. All of them are related to give me life. Verse 145, with my whole heart I cry, answer me. 146, I call to you, save me. 147, I rise before dawn and cry for help. So I'm rising up early in the morning before others are awake, right at the beginning of the day, knowing as the day begins, I absolutely need him. And then 148 backs it up into the middle of the night. Not only before dawn, but throughout the night. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. And so that meditation all night long leads to that crying out before dawn. And that crying out is based on what God has promised. Beginning of 149, hear my voice according to your steadfast love, or in accordance with your steadfast love, what you have promised, what you have committed yourself to with your covenant people, hear my voice. So the psalmist is saying, I'm in relationship with you. You have graciously promised me your love, so fulfill that promise. Hear what I am asking you for. 153 begins, look on my affliction and deliver me. 154, plead my cause and redeem me. So this is a, a legal question. Satisfy the legal demands that are against me. You are my kinsman redeemer, my relative who can give this redemption price. So give that for me. And then 159 begins, consider how I love your precepts. So do you see how all of those requests are related to give me life? Some are more general, answer me, help me. Some focus more on the present moment, look on my affliction and deliver me. But all are saying, I need you, Lord God. I need you now. I need you forever. If I am to have an abundant life. So let's then turn to those four explicit requests, give me life. And again, there those these four verses are all on the front of your bulletin. Each request is followed by according to, give me life according to, give me life in accordance with something. Now we're going to consider these in a different order than the one they appear in the psalm. First of all, 154. Give me life according 
according to your promise. Give me life in accordance with your promise. Well, we have an even more explicit promise than the psalmist had. We read from John 10, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And so we sang, using Margaret Clarkson's words, you only are true life to know you is to live the more abundant life that earth can never give. So God the Father promises through God the Son that anyone can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and thus be made alive, having an intimate relationship with him through faith in the crucified and risen Son. That's God's promise. That's God's promise to us today. And so may we all cry out, give me life according to this promise. As you have said, by grace through faith, give me this life in the Son, indwelt by the Spirit. Verse 159. Give me life according to your steadfast love. Well, think of John 3.16 in that regard. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have, what? Eternal life. Not only life without end, but abundant life, real life, true life. And as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we don't earn life, we don't merit life. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. So out of his love, God redeems us, he satisfies the legal demands against us at great cost to himself. He gives his son as that redemption price. And he makes us alive with him and for him. And so we pray, give me life according to your promise, according to your love. Give me life. Well, the other two requests, give me life, one, verses 149 and 156, are translated differently in the ESV, but it's actually the same, same in Hebrew. We could translate it more literally, give me life according to your judgments. Although the ESV renders one of them according to your justice and the other one according to your rules. So what's going on here? What is the psalmist saying? Give me life according to your rules, according to your justice, according to your judgments. The idea is you have determined, Lord God, that you will show love and mercy in this way. Through giving life 
to rebels who deserve your justice. You have implemented an entire plan of redemption to bring this about. And this is what you have determined to do. Your plan of redemption is just and holy and right. So give me life as you have determined in the way, the only way, that I, a sinner like me, can obtain that life according to your righteous plan of redemption. That's the idea. Do what you have determined to do through your plan, by your mercy, by your grace, out of love, righteously give a rebellious sinner is similar to what Paul states as a fact in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Remember, he's coming to the end of his life. It's the last letter that he writes that's in the New Testament. And he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown, like a victor's crown in the Olympic Games, a crown which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved, all who have longed for his appearing. God has promised life to all who come to him through Jesus according to this great plan of redemption. So according to those judgments, the judgments embodied in that plan of redemption, we pray, give me life. That plan of redemption is a manifestation of his love. That plan of redemption includes that great promise. And so we pray, give me life according to your promise. Give me life according to your love. Give me life according to the judgments in that great plan of redemption. So come to him that way. Ask for life in Jesus, and he will give it to you. That's his judgment. It's righteous. It's holy. It's love. Well, we've seen the pleas that the psalmist makes, the request that he makes. Now, just briefly, look at the steps that he takes to live out that abundant life. Second half of 145, I keep your statutes. Second half of 146, I observe your testimonies. Second half of 147, I hope in your words. Second half of 148, I meditate on your promises. Second half of 153, I do not forget your law. Beginning of 159, I love your precepts. Now, once again, we need the reminder here. 
that these statements about what he is doing are not ways that he is establishing a relationship with God. I keep your statutes, I observe your testimonies, I hope in your words, therefore now I am in relationship to you. No, no, no. This is all according to his promise, according to his mercy. He has granted life. Now we have life by that mercy, by that grace, according to his plan of redemption. And so, this is the way we live. We are in relationship to him. We're responding to God's instructions for how those made alive by him should live that abundant life. You know, when our, when our children were small, if we had been out with them at a restaurant or in a store and one or more had acted up, when we got home, we'd sit down with that child or those children and say, that is not how Pinkney's behave. That is not the way this family operates. That is not who you are. You see, it wasn't that that type of obedient behavior would earn them a place in the family, right? They were already in the family. Because they were in this family, in our family, they were not going to act that way when they were in public. And when we live out what it means to be part of God's family, we have true, abundant life. So that's what the psalmist is saying here. I keep your statutes, I observe your testimonies, I hope in your words, I'm living out the abundant life that you have granted me by grace through your plan of redemption. So that's the first heading. There's no true life apart from God. Second heading, don't follow the zombies, follow the God of the Word. In this world, all of us at one time were zombies. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And don't let this frighten you, there are zombies all around you. So scripture tells us there are these people all around you who look like they have life, but they are the living dead. Don't follow them. Well, several, several verses between 150 and 160 bring this out. 150. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. These persecutors don't have life. They are not truly alive. 155. Salvation is far from the wicked. They do not seek your statutes. Well, salvation here means more than rescue from near danger, obviously. Zombies can be rescued from near danger. Salvation here must mean 
saved to true life. That's what the wicked will never have unless they turn to Jesus. Doesn't matter how prosperous they are, how healthy they are, how successful their life may appear, they'll never have true life. So then, 157 and 158 describes the psalmist's reaction to the zombies. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. And then 158, I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. The point is this, I will not follow after them. I will not swerve out of the one true path, the path to life, to follow the path that they are on. I know that is the path to death, not the path to life. I know the ancient path. I know the road to true life. So I will not go along following the crowd of zombies. Well, that's the negative. Don't follow the zombies, they're on the road to death. But then verses 151, 152, and 160 give the positive side. Instead, follow the God of the Word. So 151, after saying in the previous verse that the persecutors are far from God's law, but you are near. Persecutors are far from God's law. But you are near, implied to me, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. That is, all your commandments truly lead to life, truly lead to abundant life, truly are for our good. God is near his people. He is with us. And when the one who is life himself, I am that I am, when that one is with us, we have true life. And then 152 and 160 say, he's not only with us now, he's with us forever and ever, eternally. He never changes. He never leaves us or forsakes us, 152. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Okay? You see the contrast between the first and the second half of that verse? You founded your testimonies forever. They are, they have a foundation. They are grounded. They are secure. It's unshakable, that foundation. They've always been true. And in my brief, puny life, I've known that for a while. Right? It's long to me that I've known them, but it's so much longer that they have been established, founded, firm, secure. And then 160, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. As Isaiah and Peter tell us, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord 
endures forever. So, first heading, there is no true life apart from God. Second heading, don't follow the zombies, follow the God of the word. That brings us then to this third stanza, verses 161 to 168. Note that in this stanza, there are no requests, no pleas that the psalmist makes. Rather, in this stanza, he's describing that true, abundant, eternal life. What does that life look like for a person who is made alive by God's plan of redemption? Of course, we're getting close to the end of the psalm, and this is, in some ways, the conclusion of what he has said in these verse 168 verses of the psalm. And then we'll, next week we'll consider how he closes in that final stanza. So this heading, this is eternal life. This is true life. Each verse, each of the eight verses, describes one aspect of true life with God. 161. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. One commentator suggests the idea behind princes for those of us who don't live under princes could be more broadly those who run things, those who make decisions that affect our lives. And so thus not only political leaders, elected officials, but regulators and other elites in our society. Such people may well persecute us without cause. It may be unjust. It may even be contrary to the laws of the land. But they may well persecute us without cause. But if I am living out true life, I'm not fearful of them. Princes persecute me without cause, but what am I afraid of? What am I in awe of? I'm not in awe of their power. I'm not afraid of what they might do to me. I'm in awe of God's power and his word. So, therefore, we would not disobey God and do what will stop the persecutions against us. Right? That's much more dangerous. That's much more stupid. We will continue to accept the persecution as the apostles say in Acts chapter 4. You decide, should we obey God or man? Right? We follow God, whatever the consequences are, in terms of what man might do to us. We are in awe of your words. And then 162. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I rejoice at your word. Spoil is what you didn't earn. You just come across it and there it is. All this abundance. God's word 
the truths of his word, the benefits of his word, are all unearned. We have it. That's where the true life is found. And so if we're going to live out that true life, every day we're going to be rejoicing in this unearned spoil of the word of God. In 163, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. So falsehood, what I'm abhorring, is anything contrary to God's law. So those living the true abundant life hate all attempts to denigrate God's word, to deny God's word. I hate and abhor falsehood. 164. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Now the psalmist is not counting. Okay, let's see, I praised him at seven o'clock. Now I'll praise him at nine. You know, counting up to seven. The idea of seven is the number of completeness. Is that all day I am praising you for your word. So the idea is intensive. Every moment I am praising you. My day, my life consists of seeing the value of your word and then living it out. That's abundant life. And then 165 moves from the internal to the external. How this true life is manifested before others. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Great peace, great shalom. Remember the connotations of shalom. This is much more than the absence of conflict, but healthy, vibrant relationships with God, with one another, with ourselves, indeed with the created order. So every relationship in your life is life-giving. And so you don't stumble. You're secure. You're solid. Most fundamentally, in your relationship with God. And when that happens, as we discussed a bit in course seminar this morning, that often leads to solid, healthy relationships with other people but not always. And when it doesn't, when the relationship with God leads to a breakdown, or the relationship breaks down despite your solid relationship with God, that relationship with God enables you not to be swayed by others, not to be swayed by the zombies who are persecuting you without cause. You care for them, you pray for them, you tell them the path to true life, but you don't stumble. They can't make you stumble. They can't hold their relationship with you hostage to you turning away from God. We don't go on the wrong path in order to satisfy the zombies. That doesn't do anyone any good. Not the zombies. And certainly not us. As Jesus says, 
blind lead the blind, they both will fall into the pit. So, we don't stumble. We have that great peace. And we pray that those around us will find that great peace too by God's grace and mercy. 166. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. Our hope is based on his promise, his plan of redemption. Not on what we do, not on what we've saved, not on our abilities or position. 167, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. This is the path to life. These testimonies. If I know this is true life, this is characteristic of me. And then the final verse. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. You know, don't think about this as a Santa Claus song, right? He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been good or bad, so be good for goodness sake. No. The idea is not only, you are the all-seeing God. You know all about me. Rather, think of it this way. You're driving at night on a rainy night. You can only see as far as your headlights go, and that not very clearly. And so you're trying to steer, you're trying to go on the right road and drive safely. But God sees far past those headlights. God knows everything that's ahead of you. Furthermore, he knows all the turns that you're going to make. He knows where there's been an accident. He knows where the bridge is closed. He knows where the road is flooded. He knows a hundred miles. He knows thousands of miles ahead of you. And he is leading you every step of the way. All my ways are before you. And God knows that when I keep his precepts and testimonies, that is the way I live out that true life. He has told me that. He has told me how to live so I stay on the right road even when I cannot see far ahead. So we must live it out and trust that he is leading us where we should go on that path to abundant life. Well, in conclusion, consider Mar Margaret Clarkson's line again. You only are true life. To know you is to live. True life is to fulfill God's purpose in giving you life. That's where true life is found. Abundant life is the life God intends his beloved to live. And he defines what abundant means. Not 
successful in the eyes of the world, having good health and a long life, having a good marriage, many children, grandchildren, having a good income, and having fun vacations. Abundant life always is lived with God. Live before God. Live by the power of the indwelling spirit on the basis of the sacrifice of the Son. Rejoicing in his word. Loving God and his revelation of himself in that word. Living a life before him of praise and obedience. And David, again, describes that abundant life as we saw at the end of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and steadfast love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That, that is true life. Whatever happens, whatever our circumstances, living before God, knowing that he is with us, that he loves us, that we are secure, that we have that solid foundation, and it's never going to change. So don't be attractive to the life of zombies. Rather, walk on the path to true life that God's word describes. And tell the zombies that you meet along the way, God is in the habit of giving life to the dead. I was once a zombie, dead in my trespasses and sins. And God's power and mercy saved me by grace. Think of him the same. Have confidence in God's description of true life. Live out that true life. Point others to that true life. And then, as Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him. And what? And make our home with him forever. So know him. Love him. Keep his word. That is true 